My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to the final episode of Season 1. In today's interview, we tackle a question that many creative people struggle with. What do you do when you look at all the jobs on offer and none of them seem the right fit for you? Not even the self-employed ones like consultant or freelance designer. Should you try to fit in like a square peg in a round hole? Or should you do what Aileen Bennett did and create a job that doesn't exist? I'm delighted to introduce Aileen in this episode. She's a delightfully creative thinker and maker and a great example of how being yourself can help your business thrive as well as your imagination. So that's coming up in the interview part of the show. For the final creative challenge of the season, Aileen has given us a terrific prize, three prints of a stunning drawing she's made of Brooklyn in New York. You can see it in the show notes at 21stcenturycreative.fm slash 10. So if you would like to own one of the three prints, then make sure you enter this week's creative challenge. The instructions, as usual, will be at the end of the show after the interview. So, this is it. The last episode in the season. I don't know about you, but to me it feels like it's gone very quickly, but at the same time, when I look back to before I launched the podcast, it feels like a very long time ago, which I think is a good sign. It tells me we've covered a lot of ground in a fairly short time. So before we plunge into the final episode, I'd like to thank a few people who've helped me to make the show possible. Firstly, Javier Whaler for creating the music and sound effects that give the show its distinctive sound. And not only does he compose all the music, but Javier and his team at the Breaking Waves Agency are responsible for all the editing and sound production of the show, which means I'm free to focus on the content and I don't have to worry about any of the technical stuff under the hood. Also, a big thank you to Irene Hoffman, who created the show's identity with the beautiful, radiant colours of the logo. As you may know, Irene designs all my books, and once again, she's produced something that is new and surprising, and at the same time, exactly what I wanted. Thank you also to my guests, firstly for being so inspiring, and also for being so generous with their time and wisdom and sharing it with us in the interviews. Last but not least, thank you for listening to the show and making it worthwhile for me to make it. You know, for a long time this podcast was just an idea in my head, something I was going to get round to someday, and now it's a real thing. And what makes it real isn't the fact I made it and it's available on iTunes or wherever, but the fact that you're listening to it and you're telling me you're enjoying it and you're finding it helpful on your creative path. I've even had a few listeners tell me 
they are now looking forward to Mondays. So that feels like a pretty good start for season one. And rest assured, there's plenty more to come from the 21st Century Creative. I've already started recording interviews for season two, and I'm excited to see how it's shaping up. The suggestion box is still open for season two. I've had some great requests this week from listeners for topics and questions that they would like me to address in season two. So if there's anything that you would like me to cover in the next season, you can go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash contact and send me a message. But of course, before we get to season two, we have one more episode left. So here we go for episode 10. Today's theme is, you have no competition. A few years ago, I was talking to my bank manager, reviewing the past year and getting his perspective on things. At the end of the conversation, he said to me in a slightly puzzled voice, so things are going great, Mark. I'm really pleased for you. But one thing you haven't even mentioned is your competitors. What kind of competitive analysis have you done? Do you know who your main competitors are? Do you have a strategy in place for dealing with them? I thought about it for a moment and replied, Well, I generally either ignore them or make friends with them. In fact, some of the people who'd be regarded as my closest competitors are some of my best friends. My bank manager was surprised to hear this. He said it wasn't the usual answer he heard from his small business clients. Well, I guess it's working for you, he said. I thought about it afterwards and why I take this approach. For one reason, it means I get to focus on my own work, making it the best I can. If I started looking over my shoulder, trying to second-guess the competition, I would lose focus or risk diluting or compromising my work. Only by concentrating on the work itself can I do my best work which, ironically, is the thing that will give me the greatest competitive edge. Another reason is that life is just better this way. I'd hate to spend all my time looking over my shoulder, worrying about how to beat the other guy. What a horrible way to live. Finally, because there's no need to be competitive. In fact, in most contexts, it's counterproductive. Take my coaching business. I work with creative professionals which automatically separates me from at least 90% of coaches. The reason is that it's not supposed to be a very good market. Most creatives don't spend a lot of money on personal development, and most creative agencies don't spend a lot on training and coaching. But I don't want to work with most people. I want to work with the exceptional ones. And I deliberately only work with a small number of clients at a time. So I only need a handful. With millions of creatives on the planet, I can afford to be choosy. There are a few of us working with creatives. Peleg Top is the best I've ever met. He's a bit like me, but he lives in California, so he's got a better tan and he's more laid back. A few years ago, Peleg heard about me and realised we were speaking at the same conference in Boston, so he reached out and suggested we meet up. 
We hit it off over dinner and stayed in touch. I ended up hiring him to coach me, and he made a huge difference to my life as well as my business. Now, Peleg and I are close friends and make sure we meet up at least once a year, even though we live on opposite sides of the world. And because we're working in the same field, I can have conversations with him I can't have with anyone else on the planet. Technically, we'd be classed as competitors. But we both need so few clients, and the world is such a big place, the idea that we'd ever compete for a client is ridiculous. Another area of my business is writing books for creatives. So in this sphere, Stephen Pressfield would be considered king of the hill. His books, The War of Art and Turning Pro, are massive bestsellers. And you know what? Since we connected online a few years ago, Steve's been incredibly encouraging and supportive, reading my books, writing blurbs for them, and giving me time for interviews. Other authors in the same space include people like Scott Belsky, Jocelyn Gly, Todd Henry, and Joanna Penn. Again, the idea that we're in competition with each other feels ridiculous. Just because someone reads Steve's book, or Jocelyn's book, or Joanna's book, doesn't mean they'll never have time to read one of mine. In fact, it means they are the kind of person who reads this kind of book. So it's actually more likely they will want to read my book than the general population. It's the same for most creative products or artworks. Music, movies, games, live shows. If you watch one movie, you probably watch a lot of movies. If you go to one live show, you're probably the kind of person who likes to go to lots of shows. Creative products are potentially unlimited purchases. If someone's a heavy consumer, they're more likely to buy your stuff as well as other people's stuff. It's not a fixed pie. Now, there are a few cases where competition makes sense. One is a competitive pitch for a one-off purchase. Say the client is only going to run one training program, or have one logo design, or build one website. So you need to show them why they should work with you instead of the other options they're considering. Another one is a lock-in market, such as a phone or a computer system. Mac or Windows, iPhone or Android. I choose one, and I stick with it. Maybe for life. One area where I do experience the temptation to be competitive, and this may come as a surprise to you, is poetry. Because when it comes to publication opportunities within the poetry world, it's a limited market. There may only be one winner in a competition. Or there's only room for about 50 poems in a magazine. And there will be hundreds or even thousands of submissions. So when choosing where to submit my poems, I look carefully and filter for magazines and competitions where I think my work may have an edge. But even here, it would poison the whole thing if I started thinking about poetry as a competition. Again, my fellow poets are some of my best friends. Sharing the journey with them is one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. And I certainly can't think competitively when I'm writing a poem. I'm pretty sure the muse would take a very dim view of that. So how can you compete without competing? Firstly, start with the assumption that you have no competition. There's a famous quote attributed to Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead. Don't be the best in the world at what you do. 
Be the only one in the world who does what you do. How can you do this? Well, there's a great book by Gay Hendricks called The Big Leap, where he suggests that we have four zones of activity. Number one is our zone of incompetence. This means you can't do it. Number two is your zone of competence. It means you can do it, but so could anyone else. So you're not really adding any value by doing it. Zone three is your zone of excellence. It means you're really good at this and you get rewarded for doing it. In terms of money, positive feedback and encouragement from people around you. Beyond this is zone four, your zone of genius. This is the thing that only you can do, or only you can do it in a particular way. Hendricks argues that one of the biggest challenges facing high achievers is going from good to great by pushing past their zone of excellence into their zone of genius. The trouble is, we're rewarded by our zone of excellence. Other people can see the benefits, so they encourage us to stay there. It can become a comfort zone. But it's harder for others to see the benefit of your zone of genius. And it looks riskier, so you have to push yourself to step out there. So make a list of all the things you do within each of the four zones and challenge yourself to spend more and more of your time in your zone of genius. Because that's the place where you truly have no competition. Over the past 20 years, I've coached hundreds of creatives. And I've noticed that the ones who succeed professionally, as well as creatively, are the ones who invest in their own development. Not only are they constantly feeding their inspiration and honing their artistic technique, they're also prepared to step out of their comfort zone and work on their personal development and their professional skills. How to manage their time. How to communicate their ideas. How to have difficult conversations. How to close a sale. How to deal with money. How to grow their network and how to attract an audience for their work. To help you do all of this and more, I've created an in-depth program, the 21st Century Creative Foundation Course. And I'm giving it to you for free. When I say in-depth, I mean it. There are 26 lessons, each one full of practical advice, plus a worksheet to help you apply the ideas to your own life and work. And yes, I'm giving you all 26 lessons for free. But to get the benefit of the course, you'll still need to make an investment of your time, of your effort, and on occasion, of your courage. Because you need to invest these things if you're to achieve anything worthwhile. As well as the course, you'll get exclusive access to the bonus recording I send out after every episode of the podcast with feedback on the creative challenges set by my guests. If you're serious about your professional development as a 21st century creative, and you want to start the course right now, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course and sign up with just an email address. That's 21stCenturyCreative.fm.
www.fm/freecourse My guest today is Aileen Bennett, who describes herself as a roving creative director, an idea thinker-upper, and a brand experience consultant. Like a lot of creatives, Aileen is naturally curious and has developed a range of different skills, including design, public speaking, writing, creative thinking, branding, illustration, and facilitating change. Once upon a time, Aileen felt pulled in many different directions, but she set herself the challenge of creating a job that doesn't exist by combining her various skills into a highly original and distinctive service for her clients. She works with large and small businesses, from the local coffee shop and bank in Louisiana, where she currently lives, to agencies and large corporations in New York, London, and further afield. And she never does the same thing twice. Depending on the client's situation, she may create a new brand image, draw them a spectacular mural, design unusual experiences for their customers, help them reshape their internal culture, or reinvent their customer service. In this interview, you'll hear stories and examples from Aileen's unconventional portfolio. And you can see some of the work online at creatingclever.com. I had the pleasure of coaching Aileen on her journey for 18 months. And when I saw her creative and enthusiastic approach to business, and to life in general, I really wanted to share it with you here on the show. So, if you're in any kind of creative service business, you'll want to listen to this interview for Aileen's original approach to branding and client services. And regardless of your creative field, if you've ever been pulled in more than one direction, either creatively or professionally, or wondered whether you would ever resolve the tensions and contradictions in your creative career, Aileen has some really inspiring things to say about how she managed to do this and how you can start creating your own job that doesn't yet exist. Aileen, when we first met, you said something to me which I think a lot of creatives can relate to. I want a job that doesn't exist. Does your job exist now? <laughs> um, I have evidence that it does because I've been doing it for a few years now. So um, I have to say yes. Whether other people do the same job, I'm not sure. Right. I think my issue was I didn't want to come across as one of those people who said, no, I, I can do everything. I can right. help you with customer service and design and this and that. And then I gradually realized that my skill set did include those things. And I then had the results to back me up. And it's okay to say, I think especially these days, that you do a range of things. Right. And, I mean, maybe just to help view viewers, <laughs> to help listen, <laughs> listeners get oh, the no, picture. No, I should have got dressed, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> to help listeners get the picture, maybe you could tell us about some of the things that you do. Well, I come from a design background, but I've also always been intrigued by business. 
Um, I spent years as a graphic designer and then moved to being a kind of cynical, motivational speaker. And I got to see a lot of businesses from internally, and I learned a lot about how they run. And now, when I work with a client, it's it really depends on what they need. They they might need a new logo, but they might just need to clean out the bathroom. They might need their customer service improving. They might need those clever little ideas that show who they really are. And I think that encompasses it. I work with different brands, tiny brands and very large brands. And my job is to help them show their potential clients and customers who they really are. Is that not a scary thought for some companies? I think the phrase, you can't fake genuine. If they're not who they really want to be, they need to change that. And I usually start with most companies, we work via their values. If they don't Mm -hmm. know what their values are, we find out. Because if you don't know what your values are, I don't know how you make any decisions in business. So we work from that. And if who they're showing to the world isn't who they are, then the dichotomy there needs to be resolved. And if they tell me, hey, we're one thing, but we want to pretend to the world we're something else, I'm probably not the right person for them to work with anyway. Okay, so setting aside people who are outright trying to be deceptive, what about the lack of self-awareness question, the people who say, well, these are our values and this is our vision and this is what our brand means, and yet maybe they're not aware that the reality that experienced by their customer isn't doesn't quite align with that? Luckily, I can deliver bad information with a smile and an English accent, which goes a long way in the States. <laughs> um, and part of my job often, or my job always often starts with looking at their brand and doing a kind of a brand experience evaluation and finding out where that mismatch is. And if there's no mismatch, they don't need to work with me anyway. So they're looking for that. And most brands, by the time they come to me, want someone that's that's honest with them and that can give them that feedback. And so I've never had a problem. Sometimes it's hard-hitting. They think they're one thing. They think everybody loves them and they think they are you know got a great reputation. And sometimes they they spend so long working in their business that they never take that step back. And as I am fond of saying, the one thing I can do is be in their business when they're not there. And when I'm working with owners or people that, you know, the public know, their business changes when they're in the room. And so I can be there when they're not in the room and give them genuine reports. And I I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't have a reason to, you know, exaggerate or make up their reputation. And so most people who come to me already know I'm going to be incredibly honest with them. And when you say you can be in their business when they're not there, you mean that literally? You walk around the office? Oh, yeah, if I can. I mean, if, I, if I'm working with a business and I can visit them, I will. Um, some people are just too far away or it doesn't fit in with the schedule. And so then I ask a million questions and spy on them in other ways. But if I can, I work with a car wash and I noticed that everybody waiting in their lobby was bored. So I sat there until I was bored. Um, It did take three hours, but I have to be in that (laughs) mindset. So, yes, I want to go and experience it. I want to go into the company as a customer without their staff knowing who I am. I will ask people on Facebook random questions about experiences, um, and I will investigate the product in every way I possibly can and go in armed with their online reviews, what people have said, what I've experienced, what the business looks like at night when it's cold, you know, 
um, all of those things. So you literally sit in somebody's reception until you get bored and then... If boredom's what it takes to put myself in the mind of the customer, then absolutely. If it's something else, then I try and do that as well. Actually, this is reminding me of an experience I had when I was in a flotation tank centre, which I will not name, a few years ago. And I remember coming out of the float and just sitting in the kind of chill-out area and was, you know, in this blissful state of relaxation. But somebody had left a door open and through that door I could hear the sales team being given a briefing by their manager all about how they had to push this package and that service to customers and whatever. And it was a complete mismatch with what I wanted to be experiencing at that moment from that company. So I'm getting a sense you're trying to be almost like a guerrilla customer. Yes, I mean, at that moment, that becomes their brand. Your brand isn't your shiny logo. Your brand isn't, you know, the things that you think the customers are noticing. Your brand is what your customers actually think about you, and they will notice those. I once sat in a lobby of a business that I wasn't even working for and overheard them gossiping and complaining, and it changed my whole view of that business. And so I think people have to be aware that if there are customers in, they see everything and they notice everything. We notice the dust under the chairs and the fake plants and all the things that are wrong. And that adds to our brand and what we think of the brand and the reputation of the company. So those things are, to me, really important. And I get, you know, I'm really curious about everything that goes on. And so I love to be able to notice all those things and make changes. So can you give an example of some of the changes that you've recommended and actually had put into practice? Oh, yes. Um, One of my favourite things to do is those clever little ideas. I always say that if you can make me smile with your open and close sign, then I believe you cook great food or sell fantastic dresses, whatever it is, because those little ideas are what, you know, tell me that you've thought of all all the small things as well as the big things. So at the, at the car wash I worked for, one of the things I noticed that I had presumed before I watched the whole car wash thing that customers are, are happiest when they leave with a nice clean car. And it turned out that wasn't true. Before they got in their car, they looked around for any mistakes and then they got in their car and drove away and they weren't smiling. So one of the things we introduced was a kind of a door hanger that hung on the mirror after people had finished and it had a piece of candy attached and said, thank you for your business. But what it really did, it did two things. I was expecting one of them and we actually had two results. It said to the customer, hey, if we've thought about this, we've we've got your car right. And so they didn't feel the need to look for the negative things and they drove away happier. But also the managers became proud about putting these things up. And so they checked the car. And so on both levels, the work standard was there and the customer, it's that little thing. If we've thought about this, then we've definitely cleaned your car. And so that was one of those little Mm. examples. They worked out to less than five cents each and customers drove away happier. So that's a bit different to just giving them a new logo or website. Uh, Yes. And I think these are the little things, especially today, that distinguish you from other people. Um, I work with a coffee shop where we just change the doors that people go in so that they see the pastry case before they buy coffee rather than afterwards. It's it's all the little things. I'm working with um, a clothing company or company that are just about to open a new clothing store. And we just came up with their byline because especially at market clothing stores, it's that kind of how do you get customers to walk in and know that it's okay for them to, to walk in. 
And so the byline is clothing for fine men and scoundrels. <laughs> and when people laugh, you take away that, you know, I can't go in there. They're like, oh, they've got a sense of humor. I can go in there. And so it's all those little things, whether it's little words, little actions, little just things people don't expect. They say, hey, we've thought about the little things so you know we have the big things. So your your kind of approach is to talk to them, but you also verify and you go and investigate and get as much information as you can from the customer's perspective. I get as much information as I can from everywhere. The reason I do this is I think the, the one thing I, the advantage I have is that I'm insatiably curious. Um, curiosity is my superpower. If I, if I had a superpower, I love to research. I love to get to know a new industry, get to know everything about the area that a store is in or the service that clients are in. And then my brain works slightly differently from other people. I originally thought just because I'm English living in the States, but I, I just look at things in a different way. And that seems to be an advantage with what I do. You live in Louisiana, which is maybe not an obvious place for a Brit to put down roots. Can you describe the atmosphere of the place? And do you think it's influenced the kind of work you do? I never expected to be in Louisiana either. In fact, when I met my husband, who's Cajun and from here, I made it very, very clear never to expect me to live here. Um, the place is vibrant. It's full of people who love their culture, who find every reason they can to celebrate. But it's also full of people who live in the real world and who want to start creative businesses. And my client base is obviously a little bit here because I, I live here. But luckily, it's all over the, the US and in London and other places too. But I recently worked with a bank who started here. They now have, I think, three states. And I worked with them on their inward-facing branding. So that's like branding towards their own employees. And we mm -hmm. worked a lot with their values. And we had a lot of fun. They understood who they were. This is a bank who has popcorn in the foyer when you go in to, to do your banking. So the whole place all smells delicious. And they're, they're just kind. And people here take family very seriously. And a lot of the businesses echo those values throughout what they do. And so we managed to have fun. We, we printed up the values in a poster, but then we changed the poster out for Valentine's Day with kind of Valentine's Day values on and for Thanksgiving and for Christmas and for the start of football season and all those things. So the company, the employees really took these values to heart and they use them to talk to each other now and they have little contests um, each of them has a whiteboard on their desk that we designed and they have contests where they write things and send photos to the, the main branch. And there's just a lot, of, a lot of fun and a lot of kind of kindness and love in some of those businesses. And I don't think that's uniquely Louisiana, but I think it's a place that lets that be so so easy to, to do. And family is still really important here and people eat and drink together. Um, and so I think some of those values are stronger here because people talk about them more. And I'm not saying they're not in New York. I have just as much fun there. But I think Louisiana is slightly slower. And, yes, we have swamps. And, yes, we can go stand up paddleboarding and see alligators. We also have super fast internet and um, some of the most creative technology and forward thinking 
anywhere. Okay, I'm getting the sense that a lot of your work isn't just about designing things or even coming up with novel things that they could do, but it's actually selling them on the idea of the change and getting them to focus on things that maybe they weren't expecting to talk about when they hired a a designer, in inverted commas. How do you sell business owners and and leaders on the idea of some of your more out there ideas? (laughs) Um, Number one, I set it up when we first start working together. I tell them some things we're going to do will not work. Um, If we're going to be creative, we're going to try things. But also that business side of my brain, we define the results we're going to get. And the first question I ask is, how are we measuring success? And everybody's answer is different. And so we're looking to the end result. And some of the the cool kind of creative things that I do are not about the cool creative thing. They're about the results. Like I love clever things. They're my fuel for the day. But clever only works if it gets the right results. And so I try not to work in isolation. We don't just do things because they're fun and kooky and different. We do them because I think they'll get the result we need. Now, it is the real world. And sometimes it's great for me to lay it all out. And some businesses, they get too busy or they get sold or things change. So it's not always that dream. Sometimes my idea for a brand in the real world never quite happens because once I leave the company, um, my aim is always to work myself out of a job because I don't want them to be paying me for years. That doesn't feel good for anybody. So it's a question of me setting them up, but they have to work out how much they can run the business and how much they care about the little things. And some companies, they fade away and other companies, they get stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, and that's one of the, the hard bits of my job that, you know, everything doesn't always work out, but that's the industry we're in. And I think being honest about that upfront really, really helps. Okay. So, you know, I'm curious for another example of something that is, might have looked just like a clever idea, but had strategy behind it and achieved concrete business result. There's a company I'm working with that haven't quite launched yet, but they're an escape room. I don't know if escape rooms have taken over. England yet. No, I, li- I like the, the sound of it though. What is it? <laughs> An escape room is a place where basically you're locked inside a room and you have to find clues to get out and you have an hour <laughs> to get out. <laughs> some of them are very basic. They're rooms with, with lots of locks and puzzles and you get out of and some of them are just incredible. I went to one recently that was based in Egypt and there were ceilings that came down and tombs that opened and it was amazing. So I'm working with a team of people setting up a new escape room and they wanted to suggest that it was clever, that it wasn't just locks. And so even we started with the business card. The business card has lots of hidden things on it. The name is repeated in Morse code as a border across the top of the card. And on the back of the card, each person involved has chosen a quote that represents them, but you can only see the quote if you hold it up in a mirror. Um, so there are a lot of little things that, that the titles of their jobs are kind of different and unusual. So even just by seeing the business card, you get an impression of what you think the place is like. And I think that's really important. It's, get, it's pulling out those little individual things from, from big companies and small companies and just presenting them in a certain way. It's that you can be, you can be anything you like. It's just that 
everything has to match otherwise people mistrust so if i look at your website it should tell me who you really are it shouldn't have kind of boring marketing speak on it if you're not that person if you're quirky and you and you speak and you're sarcastic that's what it should say so that i know when i go to your store or use your business or your services that's what i'm getting and i think it's that that genuineness that kind of everything matching that really builds a brand and do you think we're in an age where it's easier for companies to do this in in a you know because it you know maybe a few years ago people would be a bit more cautious a bit more conservative a bit more concerned about looking quote business like and professional do you think there's more liberty for companies to have a personality and put it out there can i answer a question with a question when you go to amazon to buy something do you read the marketing blurb or the reviews the reviews I think that's changed the world. <laughs> people want real. People can tell real. They even like there to be a couple of bad reviews. They trust the product yeah. slightly more. And so I think that being real and not having to pretend it used to be that people went to their job. They put on certain clothes when they left the house in the morning and they, you know, they came home and they had to be a different person. It was like they were a cog in a machine rather than just being able to be themselves. And I think since we've got more access to real and say Amazon's the perfect example, we all read the reviews and we can tell when they're when it's somebody's packed fake reviews in there or whether, you yeah. know, and I think that we, we, are, we know real people understand people. And so to me and the companies I work with, real is what matters more than anything. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be real. Okay, this is a leading question, but I'm guessing this applies to your business as much as theirs. <laughs> yes, it has to. <laughs> I, I can't, you know, I would love to be incredibly elegant and, you know, supreme all the, you know, clever all the time. I'm not. I'm real. I'm sarcastic. It will tell you that on my on my website. Um, I hopefully get great results, but I do it in my own way. And that was one of the reasons for running my own company. I get to choose how that is. And it's not for everyone. When I meet with you, if I can find you someone quicker, cheaper or better, I probably have no right working with you anyway. So I have a contract that I send out um, with clients and they, the points in my contract are things like, I will do what I say I'm going to do when I say I'm going to do it. Um, I guarantee to over deliver or you are to fire me immediately. Um, I agree with clients that if one of us isn't happy at any point, we walk away, but we must stay friends and I will enforce that. Um, and so I get to run my business in my own quirky way. And um, that's how do I explain it? That just brings me a lot of joy. Yeah, because I'm thinking there's a lot of people listening to this will be creatives rather than on the client side. And, you know, I want to make sure they, they get the message from this, that it, this applies to you as much as it applies to a car wash or a, or a bank or whatever. And I think maybe even more, because if people want a creator, they want somebody genuine and authentic and different and original. And I think it has to start with me and that's the reason I do this. Yes, I have a strange skill set that I've managed to put together, but it doesn't mean I'm right for every company. It might be the style of logo that they need isn't me, so I'll, I'll send them to another designer. Um, sometimes I'm just acting as a creative director. Other people do all the, all the elements. Um, I'll bring in the right website designer. I'll bring in the right writer. And so 
if all of those people are being themselves, you find the right clients for you. You don't have to kind of change who you are. You just have to find the right clients. And the more honest you are about who you are and the more honest you are about who you're not, then you tend to attract the right clients and the work gets better. And the result of doing better work is that you get better work and you get more creative work and everybody's happier. It kind of saves the world in the long run. Well, that's good. I'm glad that's being taken care of. <laughs> yeah, the world's safe. We're good. And, you know, the last couple of years, I've seen you branching out from design and, and consulting, and you're doing more of your own drawing and illustrations and putting them out there in the world. I mean, how's that been Yes, I've always kept a notebook. It's, it's my essential thing. I, I write down ideas all the time, and they can be completely random things that I've just kind of thought of. Um, and... It became wherever I went, people would stop and ask to look through my notebooks. And I'd always kept them very private, but it became like everybody would ask to see them because I tend to make notes in little pictures rather than just words. And so with Instagram, I actually, Aileen's Notebook is now an Instagram account. And um, it's a great way to kind of share little snippets of how I think. Um, and then the illustrations kind of snuck in there a bit and I started to do more and more drawing. And um, I had my first show last year. No, this year, sorry. I had my first show this year. I've just illustrated a children's book. I've just done a mural for the wall of, of a hospital. Um, and so I'm just having a lot of fun. Um, it's something completely different for me. Um, illustration is a kind of meditation for me. And so sharing that bit of me. And I say, I think these days it's okay to do lots of things. I know, you know, so many people have a side hustle now that I think if you can bring lots of things together and make them your your real hustle, then it's just a really good place to be. And if a client, I've just worked with a chocolate company, these amazing, beautiful handmade chocolates, and we realized at some point working together, my quirky little drawings actually go really well with them. And so I've actually managed to you know, bring in my illustration and my design together for those jobs. And when it's the right job, I'm happy to do that. But if it's someone else's illustration style that works better, that's, you know, great too. So listening to you, it occurs to me that it, it's not so much the list of lots of things that you do, but the way you blend them together. Or, oh, I don't know, I don't play golf. I don't know if you do, but it's the idea that you've got several clubs that you can pick and select and you've got a range depending on the, you know, the terrain and the shot and so on. How does that land for you? That, that makes complete sense. It's not about saying, I'm not, if you go to a design company, a pure design company for a logo, they're going to give you a new logo. Whereas I can look, you might not need a new logo, you might need something else. So yeah, it's this whole strange collection of skills. But to me, it's always been the same. It's always been about communication, whether I was a designer or whether I was a speaker or even as an illustrator. It's about communicating an idea. It's about saying something about something. And so to me, they're the same and it's just this giant toolbox and I just pick out whatever I think a client needs. No one's going to get sold a whole range of services. If you just need something rewritten, that's all we do. And my, my job is to find the shortest route between you and the success you want. And whatever it takes to do that, that's what we do. Okay, so now I'm, now I'm curious. Can you tell me about a job when you've done the least amount of work in terms of hours making stuff, but actually it had a big impact? 
Yes, a number of clients who I, I literally meet with once and I tell them at the end of the conversation, I've asked them about who they are and they know who they are so well, they've just never put it out there. And my job is then to shake their hand and say, you've got this, you don't need me. Um, and to watch them find out who they are. Or it's, I know one company that just has a note I wrote them and it says, what makes you different? And they didn't need anything else other than that. They ask themselves that question every day and they make sure that gets out there. So some companies need to know, hey, you don't need me. You just need to be who you are and you already know that. And somebody just giving someone permission to do that. And sometimes they come with, they come to me and they, they tell me all their ideas and I tell them you need to run with them. You don't need to pay me to tell you these ideas back. Sometimes a company has no idea what they need and so we do a road mapping session where we look at what they need and where I think they need to go and some different routes they can take to do it. And then I can walk away from that if I want to and if they want me to. It might not be that I'm the right person for that job. I am limited very much by my hours. At the moment, there's just me. It may change later this year, but um, at the moment, it's just me. And so I have to use each hour in the best way possible. Um, I'm luckily, I'm never never desperate for clients. There's often a waiting list of people waiting to use me, which is, you know, a very blessed place to be. But there is no point me working with a client who doesn't need what I do. And sometimes it's they don't need it. Sometimes they don't need it at that moment. And there's other things they need to do first. The shortest route between them and success is often me getting out of the way. And supposing somebody's listening to this, maybe a creative who's got a lot of different interests a lot of things they like to do and they're struggling to see how it all fits together or whether it does fit together what advice have you got for them to help them figure it out i think look at the bits you love to do look at the things you love to do find out what they all have in common and see if there are any clients that might need all of those things. When I started this, I didn't sell it as, hey, I do this and this and this and this and this, because that whole jack of all trades, master of none phrase kept coming to mind. And I didn't think they'd take me as seriously. So sometimes it would be, you know, they'd come to me as a designer and I'd also write their things and suggest some marketing things. And so instead of me selling all of these things at once, I was selling one thing and they were finding out I did others. Um, and telling stories about what you do is a great way to do that. But I think, I think lots of people have lots of skills and where that used to be something that didn't seem acceptable in the world of business, now it is. And I think so much stuff overlaps in so many ways that it's easier to put a whole group, group of seemingly diverse skills together and create a brand. Also, you don't have to do that. You might spend your days designing and your evenings illustrating, and that's just as valid and just as fine. Not everything has to be a nice little tied-up parcel. Just, I would say, start wherever you are and don't get caught up in what it is. I think as you do the best thing for the, the clients you have, the right things will just bubble to the top. Um, and that sounds very kind of Pollyanna, but I think if you can find a few clients who understand what you do and use you, once you've got examples of doing all these diverse things together, people understand it. One of the things I do is um, the only time you can actually book me by the hour is when I just show up as an idea thinker-upper, as I call it. Um, 
and I will just come and give you whatever ideas I think of at the time. I ask you questions, I give you ideas. And I thought that would be a difficult concept for people to grasp. And they, my clients and my potential clients, they love it because they can jump all over the place and ask ideas. And they never have to speak to me again if they don't want to. Um, but it's literally, it's an hourly paid thing for two or three hours. And it means that I just get to be creative and completely in the moment with whatever industry, whatever level we're working at. And the clients took to that so quickly. So I would say don't, don't judge the outside world. They might be looking for that particular set of skills. And so just have some fun, relax about who you are. You are, you are a person, not a brand. And people are complex and delightfully so. And so I would just say, don't worry about it too much. Just do whatever you do. As long as you're doing things, you, you will get somewhere. Don't let it be the thing that stops you from doing anything because that kind of cycles down into, you know, you start doubting your worth. So because you can do lots of things, some days you just have to pick one and do it anyway. Well, amen to that. And, you know, I'm thinking back to what you said about curiosity earlier on. You know, I've looking back over my career or careers, plural, I've always followed my curiosity and even when it seemed to lead in contradictory directions. And it's over the years, it's very rarely been wrong. You know, there's always been at some point where I can say, oh, that folds back in and now I can use that here. And it's another dimension to my to my work that I wouldn't have if I hadn't followed that hunch, you know, 10 years ago or whenever. I think that's true with a lot of people. I A lot of people saw that I left design and moved to speaking and I traveled around. And because I didn't have, you know, a pencil in my hand or wasn't designing at a computer, they didn't see the overlap. And it wasn't until I came back, I, I wanted to go back to design. I missed it. And I could suddenly see how I could put the things together but I also think the industry was ready at that time. I couldn't have sold creativity as a business tool 20 years ago. And so sometimes you're just collecting all these experiences, and I think often you're collecting all these experiences that will eventually combine into something quite different and unique. And I think while you're on that journey, don't question, yeah, follow your curiosity Take the work, learn from it, because one day all those skills are going to merge together or they're not going to merge together and you're going to do some distinctly different things. There isn't a right or a wrong here. I think it's just don't be scared to do the work. Well, that feels like a lovely place to arrive and also a point of departure for this week's creative challenge, which I believe you have ready for us, Aileen. I do. My challenge to you, to you guys is... Think of a job that doesn't exist. Combine two or three or more of your skills and create a job title for you without worrying whether people already do that. So live in this great kind of imaginary world for a while and write the job title of the job you would be perfect for you. And you have a lovely prize for us this week, Aileen. Could you tell us about it, please? I do. I have a copy of a print that's one of my illustrations um, it was drawn in Brooklyn last year, and it has some of my thoughts about creativity on it. It's a stunning drawing, and also as a poet, I'm really quite envious of the writing as well. I think it's beautifully 
Britain. So this is a terrific print. And with your permission, Aileen, let's have a graphic of that on the show notes so people can see what we're talking about. Absolutely. It's kind of about how we're looking at others for inspiration and we don't realise that by doing the work we are also inspiring others. Brilliant. And as usual, the instructions for doing the challenge will come up right after the interview. But before we leave you, Aileen, where can we find you? Where, where can we go on the internet to experience more of your work? Usually you can find me hiding in the corner of a coffee shop. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're not in that coffee shop and can't see me, then um, my blog and my website are at creatingclever.com. And my Instagram page is Aileen's Notebook. And Aileen is A-I-L-E-E-N. And I can heartily recommend you have a look through the website and the and the notebook, which is just like an unfolding series of delightful things. So, Aileen, thank you so much for sharing your creativity and your enthusiasm. Thank you. I'm going to listen back to this interview so that I understand what I do. Well, of course, that's the purpose, right? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you. In just a moment, I'll give you the instructions for entering Aileen's Creative Challenge and winning one of the beautiful prints she's given us as prizes. Before that, as this is the very end of Season 1, I'd like to say thank you again for listening and supporting the show by subscribing and reviewing and sharing with your friends and posting on social media. It is all very much appreciated. I'll be back soon with Season 2. So before that, if there are any episodes you missed, you can find them in the archive at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. I will, of course, be grateful for anything you do in the meanwhile to share the show with friends or on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, or any more reviews of the show on iTunes or elsewhere. And remember, as well as the podcast, you can get the 21st Century Creative Foundation course for free. It's an in-depth course to help you succeed as a 21st Century Creative Professional. Just go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. Okay, that truly is it from me for season one. I'm going to take a creative break and I will see you soon. So, Aileen has set you a delightful creative challenge, creating a job that doesn't exist, with the beautiful prize of a print of her drawing of Brooklyn in New York, which you can see online at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash 10. If you want to take part, here's how the challenge works. Firstly, in Aileen's words, the challenge is, think of a job that doesn't exist. Combine two or three or even more of your skills and create a job title and a brief job description of the job that would be perfect for you without worrying whether anyone already does it or whether anyone would ever pay you to do it. Secondly, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash 10 and leave a comment with the job title and the job description. 
You've got until midnight United States Pacific time this Friday, 4th of August 2017 to complete the challenge by leaving your comment. Obviously, if you're listening after that, the challenge has now closed. Once the challenge has finished, I will pick three winners at random from the comments, as usual, who will receive the prize of Aliens Print. Over the weekend, I will send a bonus recording with my feedback on your comments and what we can all learn from the challenge. I'll also be sharing reflections and advice from my own experience of creating a job that certainly didn't exist when I started out my career. As usual, the feedback recording will not be released on iTunes. It will only be available via the 21st Century Creative email list. To join the list, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash bonus and enter your email address. Okay, that's it for Aliens Challenge. You'll also find these instructions in the show notes at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash 10. And so... That is truly it for Season 1 of the 21st Century Creative. If you haven't listened to the other episodes in the series, you can find them all online at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. And if you have, then I hope you will join me and my guests for Season 2 of the show, coming to you later in 2017. But for now, thank you so much for listening. 